I think my whole life I knew something was wrong, something was different, something was missing, and used to think I was just sort of being very fanciful or crazy. And so to know that those feelings, I had the right to those feelings, I just feel very validated now. you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 113. I just spent my weekend at a workshop in Arlington, Virginia called Interfusion. It was a combination of dance and movement and meditation and other healing modalities. It it was just what I needed. And one of the workshops was around healing touch and asking for hugs and giving ourselves self-love and even kind of hugging our arms as if we're a small child and rubbing our arms and giving ourselves affection. And it was just really good for me. It was especially coming out of a pandemic where there was so little touch and so little so little physical affection. Um, There was just so many good feelings of oxytocin and it was a complete mood booster. And while I was there, I thought, I just, I have to mention this just to my, to the NPE community, the DCPs and LDAs. So many of the stories I hear, I've heard stories of, of love that has been withheld in childhood. And I just, uh, thought maybe everyone should just kind of give themselves a little love, a little hug, like they are a small child. And then also we did spend some time on practicing saying no. And to a people pleaser like myself, this was a challenge. We had to walk around a room, walk up to somebody and ask them, can I give you a hug? And the person had to respond, even if they felt like saying yes, they had to say no. And you can't give excuses. All you can say is no. Thank you. And we got to practice saying no and and not giving consent to a hug. And you could do it non-verbally with your body language, or you could just say no. And so that was, you know, if we're going to talk about physical touch and physical um, affection, we also have to remember to ask for consent. And so that was my interesting little weekend and I'm feeling, feeling somewhat uplifted and, and coming back. And I wanted to share that. And today we are going to listen to an NPE story, or at least I I believe Denise is an NPE. Let me introduce you. Hi, Denise. Hello, Lily. And where am I speaking to you from today? Um, I am in South Central Pennsylvania. Well, thank you so much for setting the time aside to share your story today. Uh, Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's so nice to get to talk to you finally. 
Where are you from? I hear an accent. Yeah, I'm I'm from England originally. Um, I've been in the United States for 20, nearly 28 years now, so a long time. Um, but I am from, I was born in London and um, lived there until I was 36, moved here when I was 36. So most of my life, so far, most of my life <laughs> in England. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into your story. I'm just going to ask you some questions. Why don't you go ahead and start by telling us a little bit about your life growing up in England and who was in your original family? Of course. Um, so, yes, I was born in London in 1957, so that makes me 64. Um, and uh, there was mom and dad, and I had a, a brother. I have a brother who's six years older than me. And, um, you know, I think life was fairly normal. I, I feel as though it was fairly normal. I think looking back now, there were some things that maybe weren't quite right. But, you know, that looking back, we can always see things that, that we didn't see when we were younger. Um, I would say we were probably, I don't know, if you're going to put us in a, a bracket, lower middle class. Um, my parents were older and they had both left school very young and gone out into the world to work. Um, my mom always worked. Um, she started back to work, I think, when I was about three years old, and I went to nursery school. And I always think my mom seemed happier when she was working rather than being um, in the home. And she really did work pretty much my whole, um, my whole life, my whole growing up period. Um, dad was, um, I think originally, uh, maybe in, uh, the real estate business or an estate agent, as it was called there. Um, and then he moved on to a security firm. So I think, you know, I remember great excitement when we got our first car. And, um, so I, you know, I think we, we weren't poor, but we certainly weren't, um, wealthy. Um, but, you know, life seemed pretty normal. Um, but as I said, looking back now, I think the best way to describe our family would be sort of functionally dysfunctional. Um, I think we were very good at glossing over um, a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what was your relationship like with your mom and dad? Um, well, my mom... Obviously, when I was little, she was just my mom, but I, it was never a very close relationship um, growing up. I think we got closer after I had my own children, but growing up, mom, you know, I think she things were, were difficult for her. She never seemed, I never remember my mom as being happy. I think she suffered from depression all her life, actually, and I think a lot of that had gone untreated for many years. She always seems sort of vaguely disappointed with life. <laughs> I think that's mm -hmm. the best way that I can describe it. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was, and I'm going to call him my dad. Um, he was, he's very, he was very much a, I think a simple soul in the nicest sense of the world. He didn't word, he doesn't, he didn't need a lot. Um, he was very content with little and uh, they weren't terribly affectionate with each other. And I don't think, and I think growing up in those years, you know, there wasn't a lot of overt affection. We certainly didn't say I love you or anything like that. Um, but we, we, were, we were okay. You know, we, mm -hmm. we were just seemingly fine. And then when we were, my dad, um, you asked about relationship. 
with my dad. I mean, obviously, when I was little, um, you know, I do remember being carried around by him and and things like that. And I don't know that we would ever can describe ourselves as close. Although in later years and after my mum passed away, I think we did get closer um, uh, in a strange sort of way, kind of just bumbled along. Um, yeah. And then um, when I was five, we we moved out of London. Um, I think the place where we were living, um, I believe it was rented. I was, as I said, I was very young, but I believe it was rented and we bought a house out in what was then pretty much countryside. It did become suburbia years later, but when we moved, it was fairly uh, rural. Um, and I think that was really difficult for my mom. I think she was a real city person. And, um, and I think she felt very isolated when we moved. And how about your brother that was six, that is six years older than you? How was, how would you describe your relationship with him? Uh, I adored him. I I really still do. Um, so I think we, we had, uh, again, even with our relationship, um, we were close, but we didn't necessarily share a lot of, you know, intimate details or deep conversation or anything like that. As I said, there was always this sense of skirting around issues. Um, it's really, if, it, if there was any kind of, um, any kind of disharmony or, or an argument, it was sort of brushed over and we, we kind of let our feelings sort of fester. And of course I'm talking about when I'm a bit older and and it kind of went away and then it was never talked about again. So in other words, we never really sort of aired anything. Mm-hmm. So there was always a kind of an undercurrent. I think that's the best way to describe it, this sort of undercurrent of unresolved things, issues, whatever. You know, if we'd had a disagreement, we didn't air it. It was just brushed under the carpet and we maybe didn't talk for a little while lot of passive aggressiveness I think and and then just not then then we'd get back to how we were and it was never spoken of again and that happened a lot as you're here that was a sort of a real pattern in our family yes Um, sorry oh no I was just agreeing with you I say I'm nodding along because I I recognize what you're saying completely Um, I think when I was about seven then in our in our new home um, when I was about seven uh, I remember very clearly that we had a family friend, male. He would come and visit. And then on Saturdays, uh, my dad would be at work because I think he had a sort of a second job. We, were, we, we lived very close at that point to um, Heathrow Airport and he had a, a job at the airport on, Saturday, at Saturday, on Saturdays. And my brother had actually sort of been randomly discovered if you like and so he he did some modeling work and he was going to a drama school that was just on Saturdays so he would be out of the house my dad would be out of the house and then my mum and I would actually take a train trip a train ride to meet this man who was a friend of the family and that happened uh with great regularity and for me it was just a day out and I you know we'd have something to eat out or go to a park and invariably there would be a a gift for me Um, so I didn't really think anything of it except I think I really I don't remember my mom ever telling me not to speak about it 
it was almost as if I knew I wasn't to speak about it. And so um, that went on for a while. And then when I was eight, uh, my mum sat my brother and I down and and said that we would be moving without dad and um, going to live with this other gentleman. Um, They were going to be together. So there was a very contrived um, plan for us to leave when my dad was at work. And that's something that's always been very difficult for me because the thought of him coming home and just finding a note um, and us gone was, was, has always been very difficult for me. Um, and so, so that's what we did. Um, I was, and that was when I was eight. Um, so we moved in, but my brother did not get along with him at all. Um, I think once we'd moved, I think it was difficult for this man to um, have younger children about. Um, I think his family was already grown. And so it wasn't it wasn't um, an easy time. And my brother finally did actually about after about 18 months, he did go back to live with my dad. Um, And so that was pretty heartbreaking um, all around that my, you know, my brother, who I adored, was now leaving. Um, And so we didn't see him for quite some time. And I certainly didn't see my dad, I think, for about three years after that. Denise, that's. (laughs) Yeah, I think I I think she just made a clean break and um, sort of they didn't marry. I mean, my my mum and dad never divorced, actually. And and um, later on, I'll tell you that they did get back together. But um, but they um, I think she just wanted to not have. Of course, it was a different time. This would have been in 1966. And so she. changed in quotations her name to this gentleman's name and changed my name so that we our names would all match um but that wasn't done legally or anything like that it was just done for school registration and and everything like that so suddenly I had a new name as well um and always had some sort of identity issues um but I, I I did want to say previously that I think um before that happened, you know, with my dad, um, he, he, I think, and I've heard other people on your program say this, he used to call me the milkman's daughter because (laughs) I didn't look like any, I mean, I looked a good bit like my mum's side of the family, but, you know, absolutely nothing like my dad and absolutely nothing like my brother. I was very, I had very dark, almost black curly hair, very, very dark eyes, and nobody really had that coloring. Um, so I always felt as though I was a bit different. And um, certainly for mum and dad, I always felt as though my brother was the um, kind of the apple of their eye, if you like. So I always felt as though I kind of took second fiddle a little bit um, and always knew, had a sense that I was I was different, even when I was very young. I mean, I remember one time asking my mum if I was adopted, and no, I asked her something about where, how did, how come I looked like this, so different from everybody else, and and her retort was, um, well, you're not adopted if that's what you think. And so again, there it was, just smacked right down, and and we didn't have that conversation again. So. Um, but anyway, um, going back again, we, we, we'd moved. And as I said, I didn't see my dad. But then my brother, after about three years, my brother 
arranged for me to actually go and spend a weekend um, with my dad, who was still in the house that we'd we'd left. Um, and that's that started to happen on a fairly regular basis, that I would go back for the weekend and see my brother and my dad. Um, my dad would come and pick me up and, and take me back again after the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after a little while, a uh, few few years, I guess, my mum's my relation, new relationship started to go badly wrong. Um, as I said, I don't think he adapted well to having a younger child in the house and he was very austere, um, you know, very, very, very strict. And I kind of balked against that when I was a teenager. Um, and so life in that place became very tense and miserable, especially after a while they actually started living separate lives. And so that was in a, in a small apartment. So that was um, a very tricky period. Um, um, and then uh, by that time, uh, my grandmother was living with us. That's my mom's mom, my nana. And um, and then by chance, um, after, probably after about nine, eight or nine years, um, my mum and dad reconnected. I think she had called to speak to my brother and my dad answered the phone and they got talking and amazingly, he still loved her and wanted her back. Um, and it took a little while for them to actually get back together. And But then after about 10 years of being apart, we moved back into our original home with my dad. And so by that time I was um, 18. And, and so that was 10 years of my formative years, really. Um, but once we moved back, they were never discussed. <laughs> <laughs> so it was 10 years of my life that was just forgotten about, really. Um, just never, never talked about again. How was that moving back in? With your your dad. Oh, well, I was thrilled actually because the situation where we were had become really untenable. Um, it was awful. We we would have to oh silly things like my mum and I. She'd come back from work and we'd have to quickly try to cook our dinner before he came back from work because he would just you know get very angry if we were still in evidence. So by that stage, my mum was sleeping in my bedroom on the floor and we just ate our meals in my bedroom. And so it was, it was not ideal. (laughs) Um, I spent most of my, as much time as I possibly could at friends' houses, to be honest with you. I just, it was just miserable. Um, Very tense, very stressful. My mom was suffering from terrible depression, as you might understand. Um, And in those days, of course, treatment was more, to you know deaden everything so she was on either valium or librium at that time and so she was really emotionally absent i would say um during those sort of teenage years it was very very difficult so it was it was very nice to to go back to to our house where we'd been and where obviously where i'd been visiting and you know as i said it was never talked about again (laughs) so that's you know I I still think that's very strange and I can understand they were probably it was probably very awkward and um but I do feel as though that was 10 very important years of my life that was sort of wiped out in a way wow do you wish that you had ever just they had just your mom had just stayed with your dad those all those years and and not separated the family Oh, well, yeah, I do. But, you know, 
I, I have thought that, but honestly, I think as I've got older, I really understand that people do the best they can, mm. you know, with, with whatever situation they're in, with whatever they've got. You know, I, I, though I resented my mum for a long time, a very long time. But then, you know, when I had my own children and I had, you know, my first marriage failed. So I think in those at that time, it's like, OK, I I get it now. I understand it more. You just do what you have to do and, and what you feel is right at the time. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I got over that resentment, um, honestly, yeah. with my mom. So and she did what she could. She worked the whole time. She supported us, um, supported me. And um, as I said, did the best that she could. And now I don't want to skip too much. So feel free to 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 backpedal but how you are an npe correct i am an npe yes yes. okay Mm -hmm. now so how in this how in your story did you find out you were an npe what led up to that well it's actually really strange um there had always been in our family some some sense that there was a jewish connection but never really you know it was never solid there were references to Jewishness. And um, so uh, my my grandmother on my mother's side lived in a in a part of London that was extremely Jewish. Um, and all her friends, I think many of a good many of her friends were were Jewish. And so there was always this sort of underlying sort of connection in a way, but it was very um, tenuous. But I was looking through some old photographs with one of my daughters. I have three daughters uh, with one of my daughters. And um, I have a photograph of a grave marker that was my great uncle. So that would be my grandmother's brother. He was killed in the First World War in France when he was 19. And uh, his mother received a photograph of his grave. And I'd looked at this photograph more times than I could remember but suddenly I saw it differently and I realized that the grave marker was actually a Star of David hmm. um, rather than a cross. And so, you know, this was sort of a bit of a revelation. And so we started to think, well, you know, was there some connection going back? Although all the paperwork I have, all the you know, baptism certificates and marriage certificates, and they're all, um, you know, Christian, not, not Jew- Jewish. So, my girls, um, I think in 2018, I want to say, um, bought me a 23andMe kit <laughs> to see, you know, if there was a strong Ashkenazi Jew connection. And um, so they did that, and I sent off the the test and waited for the results, and the results came back. And when I looked at it, I thought, that's odd. There was no zero Ashkenazi Jew um, and it said at the time that very first results that um, I was fifty percent Southern Italian, mm. and I know enough to, biologically to know that fifty percent is pretty much a parent. So <laughs> yes. So I kind of I was I actually got a little bit emotional because I, as I said, I always felt I didn't fit in. I always felt I didn't belong, and I know I hear that from a lot of the MP stories that I've heard. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe it's a mistake, then I will send off for an ancestry kit, which is what I did to, to 
you know, check it. So I, I did send off for an ancestry. I did that one. By the time that one came back, the 23andMe results had actually changed. And instead of being 50% uh, Southern Italian, it became 50% Middle Eastern. Oh. And then when the ancestry um, one came back, uh, that matched exactly. So, um, and then I started to explore relatives and there were a lot of relatives from Israel, a lot of relatives um, who had uh, roots in the Yemen and specifically the Aden Protectorate, which was a, a British protect, protectorate within Yemen. Um, and ev- everybody, all the um, Adonite Jews that were there left in the late 40s. There was a diaspora because they were persecuted by the Muslims there. And so they left and uh, went either to, most of them went to Israel or to England. Um, and I've learned so much about that, <laughs> that culture um, since then. Um, what was interesting, though, given that I, the original reason why I did this was to do with my mum's side, more of my mum's side, um, with the, you know, with the grave marker that I found with my great uncle, um, I actually reconnected with a first cousin on my mother's side, who I knew to be my first cousin. So I realized that all these relatives I was seeing w- with the uh, Yemeni background must be on my father's side. And so that's when I I really started to confirm that my dad was not actually my my birth father. Um, And so at that time, for about the last 12 years, actually, my my brother and I became estranged, um, unfortunately, and we hadn't spoken for about 12 years. And then during COVID, he, out of the blue, messaged me to see how we were. He lives in France now and with his family. And, and so we started messaging back and forth, and it was really nice to reconnect. And so bit by bit, I started sort of dropping little bits of information about the research I'd been doing into our genealogy. And finally, um, I, I actually told him what I'd discovered and um, I'd also, I, I just came out with it. I said, so I think my question to you is, would you be prepared to do a test? Because then depending on how that comes back, I think that would really be definitive. Um, there was a little bit more information that I discovered as well that kind of confirmed everything. Um, two of my daughters did the 23andMe test Two of my girls are twins, identical twins, so there was no need for the third, the third mm-hmm. to do it. So two of my girls did it, and it came back um, for them as being 25% Middle Eastern. Mm. Um, and so that kind of you know confirmed my um, ancestry as well. And then the other thing that I did at that time was I started uh, joining some NPE Facebook, the private NPE Facebook pages, and groups, and they advised me then to upload my DNA file to some other sites like My Heritage, um, which I did. And then I had a very close match on My Heritage um, with a woman in Denmark, and uh, we got talking. It was very close, 
uh, we got talking back and forth. And finally, I, she agreed to do a 23andMe test so that we could take it through the same channel there. And um, anyway, it's so joyful that she is my half-sister. Oh. So, <laughs> and I feel very lucky because I do hear a lot of stories where um, people discover half siblings and and that you know the outcome isn't uh, very happy. Um, but with my half sister and I, we've connected and have become quite close over the last about eighteen months. But the interesting thing is, she's Danish, mm-hmm. and so when we got talking, it turned out that her birth mother um, was in London when she got pregnant and went back to Denmark to have the baby and to have my, excuse me, have my half sister. And, um, and then she was adopted. She put her up for adoption. Oh, so we, we share a father. We actually look something alike. We both have very dark eyes as children. We've looked at pictures as children. We look very much alike. We both had very, very dark, almost black curly hair very dark eyes. Um, and, you know, I certainly look a lot more like her than I do my my brother. So uh, anyway, um, so my brother did agree to do a test. And then um, in March last year, that came back um, in March 21, that came back. And there it was in black and white that he was actually my half brother, not my full brother. And I think at the time when I first saw that, actually there on the screen, I became very emotional. Um, but I'm not, I think, you know, I know a lot of people, this is, it's, a de- it's devastating news and I understand why that kind of news is devastating. For me, I, I think the overarching, um, the overarching emotion or feeling that I have is one of validation because I think my whole life I knew something was wrong, something was different, something was missing and used to think I was just sort of being very fanciful or crazy. Um, And so to know that those feelings, I had the right to those feelings, um, I just feel very validated now. I, I guess I missed out a bit about my own my own sort of marriage and everything. Um, I think I think my my I was married fairly young and we had our three girls. And I always, when I was growing up, all I really ever wanted was a home and a family. And I think that really came from not having that sense of belonging when I was growing up, and I wanted to create that sense of belonging, if you like. And so um, I, when I got that, we had a lovely home, three beautiful girls, and I wasn't happy. I still wasn't happy, and I couldn't understand why I wasn't happy. Um, and, I, and I just think I, I still had that sense of, you know, um, lack of identity, if you like, and, and really not a sense of a strong sense of belonging, even then, even when I sort of created my own home. Um, and so sadly, that that marriage did, um, that did fail. And then uh, when I met my now husband, um, that's when we moved to the States, he was um, actually in the American Air Force, although he's British, he was in the American Air Force. 
and stationed where we lived there. And so I met him. And then after several years, we married and and moved to the States with our girls. We do. My girls did come here as well. So, um, and it's still been a bit of a struggle. I mean, I am much happier now, but um, until this information became available, I still struggled with finding a place, I think, finding an identity. And I think now having this information for the first time ever, I, I feel um, like my, I feel as though my life now makes sense. When I look back at everything, it now makes sense. And so I'm very at ease with it, um, very comfortable with it. I'd love to find out more about my, my birth father um, you know, my, my sister and I, our, bar, our birth father, um, we did, I did try, um, search angels, but unfortunately because it's so complex, um, because, you know, there's so many countries involved and because record keeping from the Yemen is not good because of the diaspora, people leaving without papers and so on. Um, it makes it very, very complicated to do any kinds of genealogical research it pretty much has to go by dna and so my sister and i um have actually hired a genealogist team to to help us and they seem to be making some headway um there's a good number of dna matches on several sites um you know first cousins once removed second cousins and so on and so they they do have some things to go on and i'm really hoping that we might be able to find out who our father was. I doubt he's living. Um, but, you know, just to maybe see a picture would be great to know a name and also really for medical history. Um, you know, when you've been providing your paternal medical history for all your life, and then you find out that it really doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, it would be nice to know that medical history as well. So we're moving forward with that. As I said, um, you know, my, my sister and I, we've become very close and actually all being well with COVID and everything in April, I'm actually planning to go to Denmark to meet her, meet her in person. So I'm so excited for that. Um, my relationship with my brother is back on track. And, and actually, I think it may be even stronger because of this. Um, because now I sort of understand why maybe he was the the, the light of my my parents' lives, and um, you know I I used to think well maybe they just don't like me, but now I understand a bit better. We don't know if my dad knew. Um, we've talked about that, and we don't know whether he knew and whether he just decided to continue with the marriage. Um, I think maybe in those days, again, things weren't discussed as openly, certainly things like an affair or anything like that. Um, so, it, you know, I can imagine my dad just accepting it and moving on. And again, as I said, we, we didn't we didn't do a lot of deep talking in our family anyway. So but we'll never know whether he knew or not. And you don't have anyone else that you can ask no, that's the other thing, because obviously my parents are both um, deceased and, and all their friends are as well. I know my mother had some very close friends. Two of them were my godparents, my godmothers, and I feel they would have known. Um, but now they're gone, too. So there really isn't anybody to ask 
questions um, at all. Um, yeah, it's very it's, frustrating. It is very frustrating. It is. I thought if I could have found this out you know, earlier, then then there would have been people to ask. But I really have faith with this team that we've that we've got because they seem to be doing good work and um, they ask lots of lots of questions um, and they're kind of they seem to be triangulating um, matches uh, to try and get a bit closer mm. to to you know the uh, our paternal family so can i get that info from you the the some sort of a link or information to your genealogical team i'm sure i'll get questions on it yeah it's actually i think i think i found it through ancestry.com it there's a link right there on ancestry where you can um hire people to to you know, do that work for you. Um, you know, I think because it was so complicated and because you know, we're talking about four countries here, essentially, um, to, to really do background work, um, it's, it's very difficult. So I don't know that we could ever have done it ourselves. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I well, thank you. I'll add that. I'll add that link. I know what you're speaking of. I've seen that on, show up on ancestry.com. Yeah. And then also, if people wanted to contact you, could they do that? Oh, sure. Yes. I'm, I'm happy to share our email address. It is um, jdyarwood at comcast.net. And he, you are so sweet, but uh, I'll add the link. But because you have an accent, your Yarwood is Y-A-R-W-O-O-D, correct? Yes. And actually, okay. I- I just put it in the chat for you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I will add that to the show notes. And uh, good luck with meeting your sister here very soon. What, just about two more months till you get to? Yes. Are you, you're going to, to Denmark? Yes. Oh my yes. gosh, that's wonderful. I'm happy for you guys. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm very excited. We, we do video chats all the time, but I just can't wait to, to actually be there with her and and she feels the same way so she's a year she's a year older than me she's about 18 months older than me actually um Mm. and so we're very close in age and um yeah I'm I'm just really really excited to to see her (laughs) well I would love to hear updates about that after you meet her and best of luck with continuing your search for your birth father and thank you thank you so much for sharing your story with me today Well, thank you for having me, Lily. I've really enjoyed it. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Thank you.